This episode is brought to you by Lexar. For more than 25 years, Lexar has been trusted as a leading global brand of memory solutions, so they know firsthand just how quickly content is transforming our world. Their award-winning lineup performs second to none and includes professional memory cards, card readers, and solid-state drives for creators of all skill levels. Whether shooting photos, capturing video, or transferring content on the go, Lexar provides the quality and performance you can rely on to get the shot with confidence. I certainly do. I've been using Lexar professional CF Express Type B gold memory cards with my Canon mirrorless cameras for years, and they deliver the blazing speed and the durability for the extreme weather conditions I encounter anywhere in the world. To learn more about Lexar memory solutions, please visit www.lexar.com. That's www.lexar.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burnaby, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Lens, where I speak with inspiring and talented people from around the world about photography, the arts, travel, conservation, entrepreneurship, and creative culture. In this episode, I'm joined by the immensely talented landscape photographer and friend, Wayne Suggs. And he is one of my favorite landscape photographers working today. And I think, I think he thinks that I'm kidding or joking when I say this, but it's 100% true. We talk mostly about landscape photography, different approaches such as chasing the light versus pre-visualization, as an example the pros and cons of each, and why photographers see the world differently. Composition, a few techniques that Wayne uses that I found fascinating, his love for the desert Southwest, and a lot more. I love this interview because, like most of the interviews I do with photographers, I try to keep the conversation focused on how they think as artists. There are, are some exceptions, and there's going to be exceptions, of course, but this is where I want the content of the conversations to go. We didn't talk about equipment. Well, we did talk about wide-angle lenses and how they should be used, but not once did we discuss what camera he uses or what brand, because what does that teach anyone? You see, with each episode of Beyond the Lens, I try to extract actionable information from my guests, whether they're photographers, artists, travelers, writers, conservationists, that you can use in some form or fashion. Or at least, I want you to feel smarter. And I think this episode embodies that mission. Wayne's website is waynesuggsphotography.com. His last name is spelled S-U-G-G-S. On Instagram, Wayne underscore Suggs. Facebook, Wayne Suggs Photography. And so now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Wayne Suggs. Hey, Wayne. Welcome Richard. to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. Man, it's it's an honor. Well, I feel like two old friends talking here. It's going to be very natural. It's going to be flowing. And I have told you before, haven't I, that you're like one of my favorite, if not my favorite landscape photographers. I have told you that, right? <laughs> you know, you have. And 
I, I was blown away because you have no idea how much your images mean to me. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I thank you very much. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's why I want to get inside your brain here and see how you see the world and how you take that personal vision you have and turn it into one of those archetypical Wayne Suggs photographs. And we're going to go down that road. Okay. Awesome. Look forward but to it. Let's pretend we don't know each other. Okay? okay. Even though we do, and we've actually met, we've not worked together yet, but we have met and talked quite a bit. Let's pretend we don't know each other and we're in an office building or a hotel and we both get on an elevator together and I look over at you and I'm like, Hey, what's, you know, what's this guy all about? And you look over at me and say, Hey, and this is what you, you have to do your version mm -hmm. of elevator pitch, where you tell me who you are and what you're all about before I get off on the 28th floor. Wow. Okay. Ready? ready? I'm ready. Ready to go. Yep. All right. First of all, I know who you are, but you don't know who I am because you're Richard Burnaby and <laughs> I'm Wayne Suggs. And, and, and for my, you know, I'm a photographer and the reason I'm a photographer is because I love nature and I, I love being out there. And even if I didn't have a camera, I would still be out there. And I, I, you know, there's nothing more magical for me personally, you know, than, than just being a part of it and becoming a part of it. And photography allows me to do that. And it gives me a good excuse to get out there and be a part of it. Um, and, you know, and I've Wayne, been doing it since I, what's that? From? Where are you from? Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I've lived here my whole life. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm lucky because I absolutely live in a beautiful place. And there's a lot of beauty around me and I don't have to travel very far to get there. So uh, I'm fortunate uh, for that because you know, back in the day when I didn't have much money and I had a cheap camera and a, a Vivitar lens that went on that FM film camera, you know, it still got me out there and I still, it meant as much to me then as it does now, you know, to be out there. And, and even though I wasn't capturing the images I am now um, with that equipment, uh, it, it still was just beautiful. And, you know, now that I've, you know, grown a bit, I'm able to travel a little bit more, uh, still home. The Southwest is still just, it's the most beautiful place in the world still to me. All right. I have a follow-up question. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned that the FM camera and the Vivitar lens, first of all, nothing wrong with Vivitar lenses. Okay. Right. <laughs> Be disparaging well, Vivitar lenses. <laughs> there was with mine. <laughs> Did you once tell me that you shot film and you were a holdout on the whole digital uh, you know, where mainstream photography went digital, you're not going there. You just held out with film yep. and you got to the point where you couldn't find anyone to process your film images. So you just quit photography. You'd rather quit photography than go digital. That's right. So were you one of those, those urban retro hipsters who were stuck on photography and listening to music on vinyl or grumpy old dude that didn't want to switch to digital? Which one is closest to being the truth? Grumpy old dude, man. <laughs> you know, it's just like it never didn't know how to turn on a computer. Okay. So oh there was no way I was going to sit at a computer and put this little card in a computer and sit there and waste time when I could actually be out in nature. Right. And so I'm, I'm taking photographs with my film camera and, and my best, the photo labs that I love to work with, they go out of business, obviously. And, you know, I don't have, I don't have any way to send off my images. And I honestly, it was just, 
so disconcerting. I quit photography for maybe a year and a half or something like that. And anyway, my wife, Kiki, just knew how much I missed it. And she bought me a digital camera. And what I real, realized was, because I love night photography, is I realized with that digital camera, I can ca capture pinpoint stars. And mm -hmm. so in doing so, and because I, I, you know, I used to, with my film camera, I would always be out at night and I would have these flashes and I would light up my my scene and I just, I wouldn't advance the film. And, you know, it was so much fun to wait and get the film back, right? Get that, you wait that 10 days before you get your slide slides back at the Kodachrome, whatever I was shooting at the time or whatever. Um, and anyway, I didn't have to do that. And my, my wife, Kiki, she's a computer genius. And so she already knew Photoshop and, you know, she, she used it in her work. And so basically I would go out taking photographs with this new digital camera and I would come back and I would give her the card and she would put the card in there. And I would sit there behind her telling her, Hey, we need to bring up the shadows. We need to do this. We need to do that. And that lasted, <laughs> what's that? She was driving. Uh, and so that lasted about two weeks and she'd had enough. She was so sick of it. And she taught me, um, how to basically turn on a computer and she taught me about photoshop and the rest you know you know the rest is history <laughs> yeah i want to talk about the desert uh, many people think the desert is empty it's boring it's hostile life and you know aside from las vegas why would any sane person go there on purpose yep so I'm, I'm assuming you disagree absolutely <laughs> Why do you love the desert, particularly the desert Southwest? Well, first of all, the desert is so vast that I'm not one of these photographers that loves to go to iconic places. I love to explore and find my own place because I love solitude. And so there's so much beauty and it's so vast. And not only that, but a lot of times the desert can be simple. If you go to the mountains and you're photographing mountain scenes and the trees are chaotic and all that, a lot of times the the compositions in the desert can be simpler. And not only that, but the light in the desert, there's something magical about it. The light in New Mexico and Arizona and Utah, there's something I, I think what it is is the dust in the air, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. It just creates this dust and the and the sun has to come through that dust and it creates this amazing quality of light and um you know and then the subject matter i mean the canyons and the you know where where you do find water there's so much life and it's it's just a beautiful place to me and i i you know i i just love exploring it and trying to find these hidden gems that i can spend days there with my wife you know we'll camp out in our trailer and and with our dog and and just really really explore you know and there's, there's just nothing better. And, and you can, that's the thing is you can find solitude still in a lot of these desert places. And this is Tome. You grew up yeah. in Southern New Mexico. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. And well, I didn't have the money to travel. You know, I didn't, I, as far as, far as I would go, we'd spend some summer, you know, summers in uh, Colorado, which I absolutely love. I still love the San Juans. Um, it's a, it's, it feels like home to me. But outside of that, I really didn't travel. So it's amazing now to be able to travel with people like you and Mark Munch to go to some of these places that I've never been that aren't that far from home that it just like, wow, it opens up my eyes, you know? Well, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. 
I know you're doing a lot more traveling now than you did before mm-hmm. with with Munich. We're, uh, full disclosure, we're both pros with Munich workshops. And some of the images you made in the Atacama, for example, were just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. But the landscapes that you've made from New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, the, the land you really love, in addition to the mastery of composition and superb use of light, I can feel the love and how connected you are to these places that you capture. I mean, it really comes through the images. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Um, and I take that as a compliment. Absolutely. It was and the reason, yeah. And thank you. Um, and, and, and the reason why I think you're saying that is because the love I have and, and again, I think as a landscape photographer, you should absolutely, you should know your subject and you should get out there and you should be a part of it, whether the light's good or bad, whether you're taking a photograph or not, just being out there, that's where you learn and that's where you grow and you begin to learn the nuances of, of your subject matter, which is the landscape. And that landscape for me has been the desert Southwest. And uh, yeah, it's, um, I absolutely love it. And I think, you know, when you're passionate about something, I think it comes through, you know, and, and you, if you're passionate about something, you want to be with it and you want to, you want to learn as much as you can about it. And that's what I've done. And, and, and yeah, I hope that comes through in my images. It does. And my, my previous episode uh, was just me solo. And I'm talking about emotional engagement mm-hmm. and how images should make people feel something, but the artist, the photographer has to feel something first. Right. And you immediately came to mind. I didn't mention you, but you've immediately come to mind because your images, particularly of those close to your home, I can feel, it feels like I could feel what you felt when you were taking them. And I don't get that from other landscape photographers, which is why when you're one of my favorites, (laughs) man, I'm blushing. Thank goodness. This is radio or a podcast. (laughs) But talking about travel, you're going to be going to Antarctica in a couple months. How do you feel about that? That's completely I, alien to you. It, I'll be honest. I mean, <laughs> I am so excited, but at the same time, I'm so scared. Last year when I went to Atacama in Bolivia, I mean, I was a nervous wreck because I had never been out of North America ever. And to get on a flight like that and go to a place where they don't speak English and make sure I'm connected to all my flights and I end up where I'm supposed to actually be was nerve wracking <laughs> to me. <laughs> How's your and Spanish? All, How's your Spanish? It, by the it's way? horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Mm. Thank, thank goodness I had Ceci. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's amazing to me because the more you do it, of course, the more you, you become more comfortable. And since doing that, I am more comfortable with the travel and I'm, I'm, you know, I've only done it once, but I'm so excited to go down there and I've heard so much about it. And for me personally, I hate, looking at images, trying to see what there is to photograph. I really, I love to go to a place and just capture it on my own, just figure out what appeals to me, not, not get this idea um, from looking at images. Uh, That's me personally. That's interesting. So I have no idea what to expect. Honestly. Is that how you you normally approach? Like when you're going to a new place, do you over research and look at other people's images and get it? Or would you rather go in? And that, this is kind of like me. If I'm going to a new place, I want a general idea of what to expect. 
Right. But I don't, A, don't want to be influenced by other people's images. Secondly, I want that emotional, initial emotional reaction to be kind of like a core that I want to build an image around. And if I dull yep. that, I, I lose out on one of the most effective tools I have for image making. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and, you know, when you, when you go to a new place and, and I, I do pretty much what you're doing because you have to kind of know what lens to take and, you know, what the, the lens choices you're going to be needing and things like that. Um, what gear, uh, but you know, uh, it, in the night photography, it's the same thing. Is there a lot of light pollution around the area? I need to kind of, I need to know all of that. Right. And I, I need to have a general sense of what the landscape's going to be like, but yeah, I, 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 I love just to going in, going into a place. And now that I've been to Atacama and Bolivia, I'm going to go back again this spring. And now I'm so excited to go because I know I have this vision, you know, and, and, and I, I would love to talk a little bit about that, you know, about pre-visualization because now I have these pre-visualized images in my mind and I, I thrive on that. And a lot of photographers don't. You know, but I, I personally do. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about that then. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And you know, it's funny because here lately I've been hearing this over and over again on different podcasts and, and I've read this in numerous photography articles um, from very, from really well-known photographers, you know, how it's wrong to pre-visualize and how you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. A lot of them say that you can't really ever capture the scene the way you envision and it's completely frustrating because you go to a composition that you found and maybe you've seen online and you set yourself up for dis- disappointment because maybe the light doesn't materialize and um, this process, it takes so much time, you know, to go back again and again to be able to capture it the way you want it. And, and, and you have to have a lot of patience and, and time. And a lot of people don't have that. Um, and, and I think most importantly, they say that um, that when you get an image in your mind, that you put on blinders and when you're, when you're walking through the forest or the desert or along the beach, you can't see anything else. Um, you, you, you can't see the beauty that's around you or you may miss even better photographic opportunities. Um, you're so taken with the thought of that image in your head that you completely lose sight of everything else around you. And those same photographers say it's best to go to a location with no preconceived ideas, just letting the light dictate uh, what you photograph. And that way you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. You're, you're not spending sleepless nights wondering what the light uh, is going to bring you. So are yeah. you a, a chasing the light photographer or a pre-visualization sit on a composition and wait for the light photographer? I, you know, I'm going to be honest and, and, you know, getting into this, I'm going to say they're both. I'm, I'm both, you know, and for me, you know, uh, for me personally, I, I, I thrive on pre-visualization. And, and yes, I do spend a lot of sleepless nights thinking about compositions. But once I get that concept, that concept of a photograph in my head, I can't quit thinking about it, you know, no but matter how Wayne, many times I fail. Do you really lose sleep over compositions? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm a weirdo, but I, I it's not that I'm I'm worried about it. I'm thinking in my head how you know let let's say I'm I'm shooting a night scene. You know how am I going to set up the lights and and you know how am I going to 
you know, what time is the best time to, to, to get there and to where I can get everything set up so I can capture it right when that galactic center is coming up over the, over the horizon, that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't help it. It's just who I am. I'm guessing because you do a lot of photography around your home, you know, that area very, very well. Right. And if you're like me and I could be wrong, but you probably have 15 or 20 compositions already set up that you're waiting for the right conditions to go shoot them. Absolutely. You know, you wouldn't believe my Gaia GPS. If you look at the waypoints around my home, there's hundreds, you know, and, and, and they have notes on what best time of year to go and whether it be morning or evening, you know, night, whatever it may be, you know, it's, uh, and that, and that's fun for me. I mean, I, you know, I pre-visualizing, you know, I, I, uh, I want to photograph the subject under its best possible conditions. And to do this correctly, I must understand the nuances of nature, of course, right. And the different light that comes with the changing seasons, how that light is going to play on the scene and when the floor or even the fauna are at their best. Right. And so pre-visualization has helped me become more in touch with nature. And I, I typically scout in the middle of the day and I use an app on my phone, uh, you know, to, figure out where the sun's going to rise or set and the optimal time of year to photograph that. And I always scout with my camera. It's always in my hand because, you know, looking through a wide angle or even a longer lens, it looks so much different than what our eyes see. And once a composition's found, I always mark it on my GPS on my phone and it, you know, pre-visualization, it does take a lot of time and patience. And I'm fortunate to be, you know, a very, very patient person. And I can sit on a composition that I love for hours, you know, just waiting for that perfect light to play across my scene. It's so meditative and standing under the stars and watching as the galactic center of the Milky Way rises above a composition. I mean, there's just nothing better. And, and it's so therapeutic. And uh, yeah, you know, a lot of pa- a lot of a lot of photographers don't have that patience, but I I I love it. Most photographers don't lose sleep over it either, unless you're out That's shooting true. at night. Right, right. <laughs> can you briefly, just in case that there's those who don't know what pre-visualization is, can you give like a quick uh, layman's definition when you talk pre-visualization for those who don't know? Absolutely. You know, in fact, if if it's okay, I you know I can just talk about a scene. You know, one, something it. that I've, I've I photographed. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I was I was at a friend's house, and uh, in in this this friend, his name's Rory. He has a he loves bicycles. He's just really into bikes. And he's got this piece of artwork that when you walk into his front door in his entryway, he's got this little kid's bicycle and it's painted all these different colors. And it's got a skeleton that's wired to it. And the skeleton's painted in all these different colors. It's a really cool piece of art, right? And I'm looking at that thing and I'm going, man, I would love to take that out in the desert and photograph that somewhere. And I finally get up the nerve uh, to ask him, and he says, yeah, sure. You know, he reluctantly, I mean, it, you know, he, he loves it and, and uh, he knows what I'm going to do. And <laughs> anyway, so I go out in the middle of the desert and, and during the middle of the day and I'm walking around and I'm looking for somewhere to place the skeleton where it's going to make a compelling photograph. And I get it in my mind. Okay. I think I'm going to shoot it at night. And so this was in March and the poppies, we had really good rain in February. So the poppies were out and there was all this color on the ground. And I found this trail and I put the mountains in the background and I figured out, 
you know, where the Milky Way would be. And so I know I, I knew that I needed to photograph this thing at three in the morning. So I went and picked it up from his house and I went out in the middle of the desert about midnight. And I have my camera bag on with all my camera equipment, all my lighting equipment. And I'm carrying this little kid's bike and the skeleton on top of, of, of my pack. And I'm holding on to both wheels, you know, as I'm walking out through the middle of the desert. And thank goodness, you know, only wildlife or snakes or whatever can see me. <laughs> What's going on here? And I get this thing placed and I take a couple hours and, and really get it positioned correctly. And I'm really working the scene. And then I just sit there and wait. and. I've pre-visualized this. I've thought about this composition a lot, you know, probably took a couple of weeks to think about how I was going to photograph it. And finally it came down to it, that moment in time where I'm going to press the shutter and I'm going to take this photograph and my lights are on it. And it's, and, and it's, it's such a fun scene and, 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 and it's compelling and I love it. And, it, and, you know, it's, it's just, it puts a smile on people's face when they see it. And so, so you're, yeah, you're that's, the, that's, you're seeing the image in your head. And then yes. you are creating an after. I guess the pre prefix is not necessary. You just visualize it. That's right. I don't know if the yep. yeah. You don't have to pre visualize. Just visualize it, and then you wait for it to come to fruition, and you press the shutter. That's right. And then sometimes, Richard, you know, you have to go back time and time again yes. to be able to capture that scene because clouds may have rolled in and, and covered up the stars and they're, they're not, you know, they're not in the sky and, you know, there's different things that can happen that you don't capture it and it can be very frustrating to people. So that's why, you know, a lot of these photographers saying chasing the light is best, you know, I mean, strolling into a place full of wonderment and, and where you have no preconceived idea of a photograph, it can really be quite liberating. And whether you've been to a location or not, Kept capturing, you know, entirely spontaneous images, it's, it is exciting and keeping an open mind and being in that flow state becomes an opportunity where every bend in the trail really, you know, you can, you can find something and, and this can keep your photography fresh, less rigid and less formulated. And it's almost like you're on a treasure hunt, right? right. And you, you know, you can, you find small scenes, wildlife, you know, capturing vignettes from larger scenes, you know, that all makes for great photography. But, you know, what is between the two, what is the best way to find your photographic zen? I mean, in, in my opinion, there's absolutely not, nothing wrong with doing both. I think, you know, um, the way to approach this is if you have a scene in mind that you have pre-visualized, you head out to that location when you think the light might be good. And but you take those blinders off and you keep an open mind. Um, there have been countless times I've gone out to photograph a scene that, that I had pre-visualized and I really, I never even make it out there to that location because I found spontaneously an even better one. And that said, I believe some of my best photographs have been pre-visualized and quite honestly, you know, the most fun to photograph, uh, because I can really take my time and it's slow photography and I'm not rushing around, you know, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, I love it. On the other hand, there's nothing more frustrating when there's fabulous light and you can't <laughs> find a composition. Absolutely. And you settle for an image with great light, but it's just not that strong. So I guess you have to ask yourself, what do you value more, composition or light? And I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I, I like to do both. But mm -hmm. I like the comfort in knowing that the composition is there. It's yep. just waiting for the light. That's right. 
and having a, an image with good light is not going to carry the day for me. That's right. Without a you know, and, 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 to go with it. That's right. And, and, and we've all been there as photographers where you're out there, you know, you're, you're letting the light dictate and the light's going off and it's the most amazing light you've ever seen. And you're rushing around like crazy trying to find that composition and while the light's waning. And, you know, that's, to me, that's frustrating as well. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, and that's photography, right? That's landscape photography. And to me, just being out there, that's what it's about, really. So It's a rush either way. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and it, since I mentioned, you know, pre-visualization, I'm going to mention maybe, uh, you know, letting the light dictate the scene, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I was... I was in Maui and uh, taking photographs and just having the best time, uh, just an amazing place. And I just full of compositions. You throw your camera up in the air and you can take a nice image. But I have a friend, um, his name's Shane. And uh, we, you know, we've ridden a lot of mountain bikes together and gone on backpacking trips together and things. And anyway, he had a son, his name was Austin and he passed away at the age of 19 from cancer. And Austin, one of wow. his favorite places was Maui and, and he loved to surf and, and he loved Honolulu Bay. And so while I was there, I just had it in my mind. I, I really want to go to Honolulu Bay and I want to take a photograph for Austin, you know, and I, I want to be able to give a photograph to my friend Shane. They can hang on their wall and they can think of Austin. And uh, anyway, so I'm there and, and, and there's this beautiful rainforest as you're walking into Honolulu Bay. It's just incredible. And I'm, I'm trying to have a wide angle lens on and I'm trying to find some subject matter I can put in my foreground and man, it's just not happening, you know, for me. And again, I didn't keep the blinders on. I walked out to the, walked out to the bay and, and I'm just sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what, what can I do here? And, and I see this surfer and he's, he's, he's on a wave and he's, he's riding a wave. And I realized they're having a, there's a surfing competition going on. And, and it was the last thought in my mind to take a photograph of a surfer for Austin, but I put a longer lens on and I'm photographing the surfers. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wind picks up and the storm comes in and this rainbow appears and, you know, I have this long lens on. So this big rainbow is appearing behind the surfers and the wind's blowing and it's throwing the spray up in the air and the lights catching the spray. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is amazing. I'm taking the photograph. I'm taking, you know, 10 frames a second. And all of a sudden this well breaches and I capture this image of this surfer with this whale breaching. And I literally just, I literally sat down on a rock and just, and bawled my eyes out because I realized what I had just done. Austin, he loved whales. He loved to surf. This was his favorite place to surf with this rainbow, you know, behind this, this surfer. And, and I just, you know, I couldn't wait to get home and, and print this image to give to my friend Shane. And there's nothing more powerful, you know, to be, than to do that. And it, now, you know, Shane, he and his wife, Lori, every day they walk by that photograph that's hanging in, in their home and they look at that image and they think of their son, Austin, every day. Isn't photography powerful? I mean, it's just amazing to me. Wow. That's anyway. quite a story. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, what do I even go for after that? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was special to me. And you know, if you look at my, my portfolio, I am not a surfing a uh, photographer. You're not, you know, not. it just happened. <laughs> yep. So on the chasing the light part where you right. don't have a composition in mind, you don't even have a subject. You don't have anything in mind. You're just going out receptive 
to something new age parlance, something speaking to you, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been fascinated what goes on in the mind at that instant when something does strike you and you grab your camera. You're walking through the desert and your your eyes and your brain are bombarded with visual information like every second, like live streaming. And right. 95, 99% of it you forget instantly. But then something stops you in your tracks and you see something, you feel something that makes you reach for the camera or for the tripod. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it? Is it composition? Is, do you see something that the uh, composition or design wise, or is it light or is it emotionally based? What do you think that instant it makes you stop what you're doing or to say there's an image here? I think, I think all three of the things you just mentioned, I mean, you know, the, the subject matter has to appeal to you first of all. And then for me, I like composition over light, but when you can have both, man, and, and, and you and I both know how fleeting light is. And so the reason why I, pre, I, I personally love pre-visualization is because I can really take my time and it's very slow, very methodical. And when you're out there a lot of times and you come upon a subject and that light, you understand it's at its best. Then it's like, let's get that tripod set up as quick as we can, get the camera set up. And you don't a lot of times have enough time to work the scene the way I would like to. Sometimes you get lucky and you capture it, you know. But, you know, it's a lot of times, though, when you understand light and you've been in nature enough, you understand that it's getting ready to happen. And when that happens, then it's magical. Then it's you got enough time to take your time and really work that scene. And all of a sudden the light comes into play because you can see that maybe the sun is behind a cloud, but any minute now it's going to, it's going to fall into that little gap behind the, you know, behind that cloud and, and be between the cloud and the horizon and create that magic moment. And you understand that as a photographer because you've been there enough and then, you know, you're ready for it. So yeah, that's, you know, I just, just being out there, Richard. I mean, sometimes we make so much of this and we overthink things, but it's just, I mean, God, we have such a beautiful life being able to do what we do. And, and I, I love it so much. I, I'm, I'm so blessed. In the, the only time we've been out together photographing was in Arizona at White yep. Pocket. Yep. And I don't think either one of us knew, at least I didn't, I didn't know the place well enough to go to a predetermined place Yep. So we were both trying to find compositions and I found one and I just sat on it and I sat on it. I was waiting for the light and I was watching you kind of just running around in circles. Uh-huh. And that's yep. just two different ways of working. <clears throat> yeah. If, if I can, you know, the way I saw it is I'm running around trying to find a composition because I was desperately trying to find something because I knew what was going to happen with the light. Right. And, and I did, I found a, a few decent compositions but, and I was, I was pretty happy and, and it's funny, I'm just watching you and you're just sitting up on this piece of rock there, you know, just, I wave to you as I go by kind of thing. And <laughs> we get back to camp and, you know, you say, Wayne, how'd you do? And you know, and I, I, I think I showed you back on my camera and I said, Hey, let me see what you captured. And to be honest, I didn't expect much Richard. I, because you're just sitting up there on this rock <laughs> and, like, and you show me the back of your camera. And I was blown away. I mean, I, I, I can still see the image in my mind, it, you know, and I remember what I told you too. I, I looked at, I looked at that image and I said, that's, that's music. And what I meant by that, it was so flowing and it, and it did, it looked, 
it looked like this beautiful symphony coming out of the back of your camera. It was, man. And I bet five bucks that, you know, you're so busy that it's still sitting in your hard drive as we speak. So I'm going to make a print for you. But first of all, very, very kind of you to say. <laughs> it's beautiful. But it is. It's, it's on my hard drive and I haven't even uh, looked at it. But I am going to make a print of it and send to you just I'm gonna, to Wayne. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> trade. Music. We'll trade prints. Well, trade prints. It'd be honored to have one of your images hanging on my wall. That's for sure. Why is it a mistake for people to fall in love with their photos? Oh man, that's to me. You know, to me, that's so important. I, here lately, I've been doing a lot of curating for photography clubs, and it's interesting to me because I'm critiquing these images, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to be very gentle, you know, but sometimes people fall in love with their photographs, and in my opinion. You know, that's the wrong thing to do. Your photographs, they are not your children. You know, you <laughs> if people say anything bad about your kids, you know, you get you get an outrage, right? But right. and it's the same with their photographs. And and you know, for me, you know, these people they, they fall in love with their images and, and they 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 fail to grow. They believe that they've already arrived. And as they say, love is blind. If you're in love with your photographs, you can be very biased and, and, and you're not very open-minded. Photography can be so beautiful. I mean, the experimenting, listening to other photographers, you know, especially those ones that you really value their thoughts and opinions. And for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not in love with my photographs. I'm, I'm in love with the places that they take me. Uh, I'm in love with nature and just being out there. And, and, and I'm in love with that whole process of photography as an art and it is an art to me. And, and with creating that image, the learning, the whole craft, and, and I know I will never master this craft, but I'm always going to strive to do so. And quite honestly, in my opinion, it's something that you cannot master. I think that, you know, one of the beautiful things about it is there's so much to learn and the learning really never ends. It, it's something you cannot master, but I'm certainly going to die trying. You're my favorite landscape photographer, Wayne. You're doing fine. <laughs> Richard, you're amazing. You're, you're, you're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious. Do you think about composition when you're in the field? I mean, do you consciously think through this or is composition incorporated in the way you see and that you're basically deferring to what feels right? And you can see later what compositional concept you may have used or what rule you may have broken. I'm just wondering, are you thinking about it when you're yes, out there shooting? I am. Absolutely. I mean, constantly working the scene thinking about, you know, how to keep that viewer's eye when they see that final photograph. And, and I'm also thinking about how I'm going to process that image when I get home, you know, um, it, that, that all comes to mind. And I think that's what I love. Why I love pre-visualization because it allows me that time to really, to really find that comp and really work that scene you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I just spoke on Zoom to a photography club a few nights ago. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling them that when I'm when I'm curating an image, I'm not really I don't think about rules, um, such things that, you know, we all hear about when we venture into photography, such as leading lines and rules of thirds or any rules for that matter. You know, but then as I'm going through this whole thing and I'm curating images, this guy brings up well, you do have rules, but you have your own set of rules, you know? <laughs> and, and he was so right, you know? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I really don't think is, I don't think I have rules, but I do, you know? And, and 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about negative space. And in my opinion, that negative space is so important. It gives the eye, you know, room to breathe. And, you know, is that subject matter connected throughout the scene? And in that connection, you know, I really don't want any tangents. Um, a tangent, in my opinion, unless it's, it's intentional, it makes an image two-dimensional. And that photograph is two-dimensional, but it also appears two-dimensional. And by creating space between those subjects, you're eliminating tangents, and that creates three-dimensionality in a photograph. And it's the illusion of three dimensions, yeah. Yes. Yep. And, you know, so I, yeah, I do. I'm, when I'm out in the field, I am thinking about composition and, and I think it's natural and I don't really, you know, my mom was a photographer and I've been doing this since I was 14 years old and, and I followed her around the desert. You know, she, she took photographs and she was trying to learn, you know, by looking through David Munch's books and, and I was doing the same. And it's interesting to me because a lot of people say that some of my images look like, you know, I learned from David, which is a huge honor for people to say, you know, um, and so that's, yeah, I'm, I'm really taken by that. But I think maybe, you know, at such a young age, I poured through his books wishing I was David Munich that, you know, it kind of <laughs> it's ingrained in me. And look at you now. Yeah, I'm working for his a son. Munch, it's a amazing. For, for yeah. And I you know what? And I I love I love working for Munich. I really do. It's an honor for me. It really is. So you you mentioned David Munch and his style, and he did have a, a style. It was it was wide angle, and then a very compelling in your face foreground yep. that he balanced with something in the background. And yep. I, I do see that in your work now that you mention it. Yeah, and he came up with the whole you know the phrase near far. I mean, that was David that came up with that. And now everybody uses that, the near far experience, you know. And so it's, uh, you know, I didn't really even think about it when I was out there doing that. I'm an, I, I've told a story before, but one day I was sick at home and I didn't really, you know, I didn't feel like doing anything. And I turn on the TV and I turned on YouTube and I'm going through YouTubes and, and, and David Munch's name came up. And it had been so long since I even looked at any of David's images but this guy was interviewing David and David was going through his photographs and David was, was explaining some of his images and how he took them and everything. And I'm looking at his photographs and I'm going, wow, David's images look just like mine. And I had, I literally laughed out loud. I, I'll never forget in a, me telling myself, no, my images look just like his, you idiot. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty funny. But yeah, um, I, I love, always have loved David's work, you know, and uh, I think, I think he, he has an amazing eye and, and maybe, you know, some of that, some of my images, you know, the, the way I see things, I mean, literally came from David's book into my soul. So uh, kind of related to that. And I, th I think I know the answer to this one, I'm going to ask anyway, if you were to go out tonight on an evening shoot and you had, or this evening, this afternoon, mm -hmm. nothing planned. You don't know, you don't have anything pre-visualized. You're just going out and you're bringing one lens. What lens is that going to be? Oh, man, my wide angle. <laughs> my, I, I love, I love wide angle photography. I can't, I can't help it. It, it, it comes in and out of style. I could care less about style or what's in and what's out. It just does it for me. And, and here's why. I think you can be very artistic with a wide angle lens and it's, it's just like having a long lens and be being able to capture these little vignettes of larger scenes. It's the same thing. It's, 
with a wide angle lens, you're looking at the world completely differently from the way the human eye sees it. And I think, you know, a lot of times people see images like that and they, you know, it, it, it's different. And so it, they have to stop and, and, and look at it, you know, and, and, and really take it in. And to me, that's powerful. And I, I, I love a wide angle lens. I just do. I can't help it. So you're teaching workshops, obviously. Yep. And of the students that we work with, I'm going to guess that eight or nine out of 10 don't know how to use a wide angle lens properly. That's true. Absolutely. So how do you teach them to use a wide angle lens? What do you tell them specifically? And one of the biggest things is use that lens, you know, the, uh, um, the distortion to your advantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of photographers will go back and take a photograph and they come back, they come back into Photoshop and they use the warp tool to make the mountain bigger. Well, why are you doing that? You know, why don't you just tilt your lens down a bit and make the mountain bigger? <laughs> you know, it, it's, there's so many things you can do with a wide angle lens rather than just keeping it level and use that to your advantage, you know, uh, use that lens distortion. I, I, I preach it and I use it to my advantage all the time. Getting low and getting close. And you can also yep. like those clouds, you create a vanishing point. Yes. Effect. Nobody does it better than you, Wayne. Well, that's, thank you very much. <laughs> and you yep. went from a, basically a technology Luddite, right? What, 10 years yes. ago? <laughs> yes. You didn't know how to turn on the computer. To now where your post-production methods have been described as, what's a good word? Elaborate? Mm -hmm. <laughs> can you describe as brief as possible, your post-processing methodology yeah. for a, a basic Wayne Suggs landscape image. Yep. So, you know, first of all, talking a little bit about where I've, where I've been and, and where I, where I am now and where I hope to be, you know, it, it's interesting because I didn't know how to turn on a computer and now I'm teaching Lightroom and Photoshop and, and even more, you know, in these workshops and people want to learn from me, which I find amazing because a lot of times I don't know how to get certain things on my phone. And, and it's so funny, you know, the people I'm working with, like, how do you, you're, you're such an anomaly, you know, you can do all these crazy things in Photoshop, but you don't know how to do this on your phone. It's like, <laughs> I'm just an old farm boy, you know? Um, but it's, it's, um, I want my images when I'm processing an image, I already know what I want to do to it. I put on some really good music I want it. I want the music I'm 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 playing while I'm while I'm processing an image, to sound like the photograph that I'm processing, and um, that's interesting. I want my I want my images. I want them to look real, realistic, but I also want them to have a bit of surrealism. I want them to be artful and tasteful. Um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I may miss that mark, uh, but that's my goal. One of the things I noticed about your your images that I've always liked, that you've always done well, is you process them dark because mm -hmm. many of your images are either evening, twilight, bleeding into night. Yep. So too many of those type images I see some from other landscape photographers are too bright. So right. it doesn't give me the feeling of twilight and dusk and night. You process them very dark and it makes me feel like that time of day. And you're yeah. one of the few photographers who does it. Yeah. I mean, I want my images to be moody, but at the same time, realistic. And so 
that's what I'm trying to accomplish. But at the same time, you know, it's funny because I actually have to turn my monitor. <clears throat> excuse me, Richard. Um, a lot of times I have to turn my monitor. Uh, I have to turn it down. You know, they like my monitor, it should be set at 120 when I process. I turn it to 95 because my images end up being too dark if I do it the other way. And so, um, you know, I, I, I tend to be too moody with the images and, and, and so it's just the way it is, but I, I want them to look like they were out in the field. And it's interesting, even out in the field, I'm thinking so much about it that when I get home, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people and I teach this in my workshops that I'm, I'm always shooting in Kelvin. And when I'm photographing, wait, can you, I'm looking, can you, can you explain that please? Yes. And so basically, in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm changing my white balance in my camera to match the scene that I'm looking at, you know, I, I, so I'm using Kelvin. And so, you know, if, if it's the middle of the day, I'm, I'm constantly moving my Kelvin temperature, the color of the temperature that's on the back of my camera to match the scene that I'm looking at. And that way, two years down the road, if I'm finally getting around to processing that image, it looks like it did when I photographed it. Okay. So you're saying white balance during the capture, not during processing. That's right. And I know it doesn't matter, you know, because you can change that white balance when you, when you get into the processing. But for me, it's important to have that visual of what it looked like when I was there taking the photograph. And it just takes that, that guesswork out of it a little bit, if that makes sense. That actually makes perfect sense. I've always left them on, on auto because I knew I could change it to whatever I want, but you're right. If there is a, a gap in time between the capture and the, the processing, you might forget what it looked like and what it felt like at the yep. time. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a, a visual marker. Yes. And also, you know, I know in the older cameras you were exposed, you were supposed to expose to the right. You were, if you expose to the right on your histogram, you are capturing more data and you will have more data to work with when you get into processing. That's well, correct. the modern cameras now, they are ISO invariant. And so what that means is it doesn't matter what your histogram looks like as long as you have information in there. So a lot of times when I'm shooting, I really don't care as long as my histogram has, you know, it, it's within that range. I know I'm going to be okay because my camera is ISO invariant. And if that histogram is somewhere in there and it's not clipping the shadows or clipping the highlights, what I try to do is out in the field, I make the image look like it did while I'm standing there. And I take the photograph like that instead of making it too bright. And so that way, when I get back on my computer, that's what it looked like. And I have a better starting point, if that makes sense. So... And that part makes sense, but you know, we've had this conversation before. I don't want to go <laughs> too far down in the weeds on this ISO invariant. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. That was quite a discussion we had, but yeah, if you're going to make it look dark, like I'm going to say it's your style, but you do process these dark and it does give you the feeling of, of dusky. Do you take several different images during different parts of the evening as it's progressing into night? Absolutely. And I, and here's the thing. I love to sit on a scene and if I know the composition is worth it, I personally don't know, have I captured it in its best light? Is the best light going to happen? You know, maybe 10 minutes down the road. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if, cl if clouds going to move in front of the sun or, or you're going to get that cloud 
that kind of moves in front of the sun and it, and, and you get that, you know, that filtered light that comes through. And that's, that's what we all strive for as a photographer, mm -hmm. because that's what the camera loves. The camera loves that, you know, soft, soft light, because now the dynamic range of the camera can capture it all. And that's what, that's what we're striving for. And, uh, and that's why I love to shoot at those edge of, you know, early morning, late evening, blue hour, uh, type images because the light, you know, it, 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 it softens and it kind of, it, it, your shadows and your, your highlights begin to equalize. And so, yeah, it, it just, you never know. And so I don't know if it's going to look better, you know, in, in full light or, you know, maybe diffuse light or maybe even at blue hour where I'm getting reflective light off the sky. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, and again, just sitting there while all this is happening, taking image after image, I don't care. You know, it's not costing me anything. And I'm learning so much about my subject while I'm sitting there and everything else around me as well. So, and, and to, to further that uh, line of questioning, do you, when you're doing a, a pre-visualized night shot, are you taking photos leading up like during the blue hour for the foreground and some of the landscape or are you? <laughs> no, I am not. And, <laughs> and I, I am a, why not? You know, because I want to make my life hard. And I, <laughs> it, to me, if you're going to take a night photograph, take a night photograph. And, and I don't care if you do take a blue hour photograph before and then stick a, a star photograph into it in post-processing. That's fine. But for me, I want to be real. And, and I love being out there at night so much. I mean, sitting out in the desert at night, listening to the coyotes go off, you know, um, and the wildlife all around me, it's, there's nothing better to me. It's just, it's beautiful. And I want to be out there photographing it. And that said, to do it, it makes my life very difficult because the modern camera has still not caught up to where we can take a very clean image um, at night because there is no light. It's dark. And so it's it, the, the camera struggle. So you have to take a bunch of different photographs and then stack them together in post to create this clean image. So that's what I'm doing. So sometimes, you know, it could take three hours to get one photograph. And I don't care. You know, it's way better than sitting on your couch watching TV. Well, the results prove you right if you're doing it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I love it. And I don't care if somebody else, just be honest about it, you know. Just be honest about what your photograph. That's my that's my thing. I mean, there's so many people talk about that and you know what what's the right way and the wrong way. And there is no wrong way. I think just honesty. So where do you currently go for artistic and creative inspiration? Man. Is it other photographers or do you look beyond photography for inspiration of any kind, whether it be in nature or in art? It's, it's inspiration, Richard is everywhere. I mean, honestly, you know, once, once you start this process of becoming a photographer and you open up your mind, you know, you go out to dinner and, and you see light playing on a wall and, and it's just absolutely beautiful. Or you're listening to music and all of a sudden in that music, this idea comes into your mind about a photograph. Um, you know, whether, and I look at a lot of images and not to get, not to find out where I want to go necessarily, but I love photography so much that I probably, 
I don't know, I'll bet I look at 50 to 100 images a day, you know, just on social media because I love it so much, just going through them and 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 really getting into the scene and 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 a beautiful image, I'll take my time and really sit on it and and really take it in. You know, I'm not flipping through it very quickly, you know, but uh, I, I love photography and I get a lot of inspiration from other photographers, including your images as well. And you know, I just, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and, and, and I love what I really love is I love other photographers that look at the world completely differently than I do, because I would never, ever do that. I would never compose the scene the way um, they did. You know, I, I, I look at Mark Munch, in that way, he looks at the world so differently than I do through the lens that, and they're compelling, beautiful images, but I could never figure out how to take one of his photographs. You know, how do you do that? How do you, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, looking at his images, just, I mean, racking my brain. How does he do that? It's, it's amazing to me, but you know, there's photographers like that, that I love that. I love to look at their images. They're so inspiring because I don't look at the world like that through the lens. And that's what makes photography so compelling is that we all see the world differently and how boring yep. would it be if we all did see the world the same and capture the world the same? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Well, guys yep. and gals back home, I'd love for you to go to Wayne's website, waynesuggsphotography.com. And you're on Instagram, correct? I am. I, you know, I, I probably should do a better <laughs> job at it. <laughs> Do, uh, do, you, do mean, you remember what your handle is? Do, you're, do you remember? I don't. It's Wayne or uh, whatever it is, a little line at the bottom, Suggs. <laughs> okay, I got it. It's Wayne underscore Suggs. There you go, the underscore. Nice. That's what it is. Yeah. And oh, then man. On Facebook, just Wayne Suggs Photography. Wayne Suggs Photography good. on Facebook. Yep. <laughs> Wayne, this has been a blast. Anything else you want to share or talk about before we sign off? You know, it, it honestly, Richard, it's such an honor to be on the show. I love your podcast. I mean, I listen to every episode oh, thanks. and I really enjoy it. Thanks for doing this. And, and it's just such an honor to be on here. Honestly. And we need to work together. You know, Man, one time in Arizona wasn't enough. Yeah, that was just fun, but we need to actually work together because we could, we could have a big time. We really could. <laughs> no doubt. Wayne, yep. thanks again. Keep in touch. Absolutely. All right, Richard. You thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Beyond the Lens with me, Richard Burnaby. Thanks to Wayne Suggs for an informative and inspiring conversation. And thanks to you, of course, for listening. You can tweet me at Burnaby Photo with any comments or feedback. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'd love to hear what you think about the show and what you'd like to see from Beyond the Lens in the future. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, beyondthelens.fm. Here's to truth, adventure, and passion. See you next time.